0: the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Everybody, this is Lori. I'm getting over a COVID infection. Now, this past weekend, Polly sat down with Roddy Radiation of the specials. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to participate due to my illness, but uh, it was a really good interview, and we are looking forward to playing it for you. So, Polly, thank you so much for taking the lead this weekend while I was out sick. And, Mr. Radiation, thank you so much for generously giving us your time, and I'm very sorry that I wasn't able to participate.
1: Hello, Stateside Madness. Today, our guest is a lead guitarist from such bands as the Tear Jerkers, Bone Diggers, and many other projects. He's possibly the most notable for being the lead guitarist of the specials and has written and played some of the tastiest guitar licks in all of Ska. And now he's leading up the fantastic Ska Billy Rebels. It's Roddy Radiation Byers, Roddy, say hello to Stateside Madness. (laughs) Nice to talk to you. Very good. Thank you. Um, So, Roddy, thanks for joining us here at Stateside Madness. Um, I know you've been busy uh, lately. So
2: how did the summer festival season treat you? Um, Well, I didn't do a great deal of festivals, really. Uh, Not this year. No, I'm I'm more or less semi-retired, really. I just do the occasional shows here and there and you know it's about it really fair
1: enough well here in the united states when you're we're we're sort of getting more into the best little thing but we you know we sort of envious of our uk uh friends over there because it seems like you guys really do hit it hard but uh, fair enough. So you're, yeah, you're uh, more or less living the easy life a little bit then. So you're.
2: Well, I just I mostly sort of uh, babysit my grandkids. That's <laughs> what I spend most of my time doing, you know. So I might, I, might, I should be coming over to California uh, in December to do a couple of shows for some friends' birthday Beautiful. party, you know, uh, Pomona and uh, Long Beach. So that, uh-huh. that'd be nice, you know. And there's a possibility I'll be doing a festival in Borneo of all places, Indonesia. That's uh next month. Wow. This is a long way to go. A long, a long
1: ways indeed. Yeah. Uh well, so uh just offhand when you're doing something like that, uh, is uh do they you know were they paying for the entire
2: uh band to get out there? Yeah, yes. Uh it's uh you know, so there was a guy who, who works for the government in Borneo. He uh, he's putting on. He, he helped run this festival, and he, he saw one of my early bands in the eighties. Was a fan and he uh, got in touch. So, uh, and they're paying for us to fly out there and to uh, look after us and uh, pay us as well. You know. Wow. Well, very nice. Fantastic, indeed. Yeah. Who? How many people get
1: the chance to do that?
2: Uh, well, it's, uh, it's a jungle country, you know, they're well known for being hidden just uh, a few hundred years ago, maybe less. <laughs> so I hope they'll come back to my head. <laughs> so
1: fantastic. Um, yeah, let's get on to something a little bit more having to do with uh, the history of variety radiation. So let's go back to the beginning, um, the very beginning, really. How and maybe why?
2: Did you start playing music? Uh, My father played in soul bands in the 1960s. And he got me on trombone when I was 11. And I switched to guitar when I was 13. And uh, I've played ever since, you know, and I'm 67 now. I'm still learning. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, And so would your first proper band maybe have been uh, the Wild Boys? Uh, yeah, really. Yeah, that was about 1975. We were kind of uh, Bowie, Lou Reed, and early rock and roll, that's what we used to play. Fair enough. Like punk, you know. Yeah. Before the punk thing happened, you know, in, in, in the UK. We kind of had that kind of look. We had spiky hair and train pipe jeans and leather jackets. Uh, it was before the punk thing started, but we, we were probably more a bit glam rock as well at the time. Well, that comes up a great deal, oddly enough. Um, I've talked to,
1: um, you know, Lewis Alfonso about it. I've talked to Chris Foreman about it. Uh, I yeah. wouldn't really
2: think uh, much of a question. Well, we're, we're all that generation. So we all grew up in the, the 70s and uh, glam rock was a big thing, you know, with uh, Mark Bolan and T-Rex and uh, Bowie and uh, Roxy Music. And all those bands were, were, were at the top of the chair Slade, you know. So we all kind of grew up on that, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and that, uh,
2: yeah, it's certainly, uh,
1: you know, I, I started getting into Glam independent of, of Ska. And so it's nice to see that, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of you folks were into that too. Uh, being a big, big, big Slade fan myself, it's been fun to talk to people about that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so moving on to, uh, the specials or the Coventry automatics, um, you were, is it correct to say you were still in wild boys when you sort of crossed paths
2: with the guys who were going to be the specials? Um, I, I, uh, my band, the wild boys split up in 1977 and, uh, I was going to move to London and join a punk band and, uh, Jerry Dammers, the keyboard player. And the Coventry Automatics, who later became the specials, asked me to uh, join what became the specials. So I ended up staying in Coventry and, uh, and it kind of took off after a couple of years, you know.
0: Two, if you ever hear a noise in the night, your body starts to sweat, it shakes and shivers.
2: We supported the Clash. That was our first major thing we did. You know, UK tour. We just changed our name to the Specials at that time.
1: And uh, so, you in fact, you then
2: uh, so you shared management with the Clash. Is that correct? No, not really. Uh, Bernie Rhodes, the Clash's manager, he kind of had us under his wing for a bit. We used to rehearse in the Clash's studio. Rehearsal studio in Camden Town, London, you know, and uh, we never actually signed to, to Bernie. He, he got us to uh, go over to Paris and we had a disastrous experience over there. And uh, we wrote a song about it, uh, Gangsters, and mentioned Bernie Rhodes at the start of it. You know. but we never actually signed to him. I think he offered us £35 a, a week. Was a wage, and that was uh, not a lot even then. You know,
1: yeah. Truly gangstery of him to uh, to lowball you guys like that. Um, well, you know, it,
2: it was an experience. Uh, so
1: uh, I hate to give you such a general question, but um, what were the early years like uh, with the specials? Was it a real fraternity, band of brothers?
2: Was it collaborative? Uh, Well, we never really were very close friends because Jerry Dam was the band leader. He kind of picked all the best musicians, all the local bands in Coventry and put us together. So uh, we weren't that close as friends. We we came over as kind of like uh, this gang of Rude Boys, but we never really hung out together unless we had to on tour, you know which is kind of strange. Uh, but uh, the early days were a lot of fun, you know, but because we're all such very different people with very different musical tastes, it uh, it could only last for so long because uh, we didn't always get on, or musically or in our own personal lives. You know, we all had different ways of going on, you know. Yeah, f-
1: fair enough, and of course, you know that's become a big. Uh,
2: well, that's probably what made the band what it was, because she got all these different people with different musical tastes all playing together, and it, that's what made it so different at the time. Isn't it? Yeah,
1: I can I, I can imagine that, and I suppose you know there there seems to be two ways that bands uh, go um, about getting started: whether it's a it's a collaboration on the part of everybody, or whether Sometimes it's not necessarily, um, I guess, entirely the vision of one person, but one person yeah. well, more it, or it. Less was
2: in a way, because it. uh, Jerry Dammers, he uh, got got me as a punk rock and roll guitarist, and he got Terry Hall, the singer, who was kind of a, a punk singer, you know. And the, and the other guy's the drummer was kind of a Motown stack soul drummer, and he got two reggae guys, two black guys. And you got a funky bass player who's into uh, the funk music and, and stuff like that. So you got like these very different kind of musical things all getting, getting together and, and becoming a sound, you know. And then you got Jerry Damers with his jazzy sort of influence sort of keyboard playing, you know.
1: Yeah, and that sound more or less became the template for um, a lot of the acts that would follow about that time.
2: Um, so well, like you say, Mad- Madness, uh, you know, like uh, Mike Bass and the keyboard player, he he had, uh, it seems to be the keyboard players that seem to have the vision sometimes, you know, maybe because they're more educated or they've learned to play with both hands, you know.
0: <laughs> sure,
2: so, uh, I think uh, they kind of showed the way a bit for the rest of the guys in the band, you know? Uh, yeah, Yes. Yeah, so I, I suppose both artistically
1: and then uh, maybe technically uh, with many bands, it seems like keyboard players um, understand music theory a great deal better. And they bring along young yeah, well, guys. It, 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 with,
2: usually, uh, usually fine with keyboard players. They, they usually have piano lessons at a very young age. So they learn how to, read music properly, where guitarists tend to be sort of uh, self-taught and uh, a bit more into the beer and the broads or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're not quite as, uh, I don't know, they're more rock and roll, I guess.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, that is quite the motivation to get into playing music is pick up guitar and, uh, and meet girls. Um so I, I ask everyone from the two-tone era that we've been know, lucky enough to interview um, this question, and it's uh, some people you know view it more or less like a bullshit question, but I'll I'll also um, phrase that by saying this is a little bit about what the fan base viewed the two-tone era as. But back when it was happening, uh, was there any feeling that? amongst the players in the two-tone era that there was a real movement happening or something very special happening because of the uniqueness of um, well, the in, Sky in Revival? The U- yeah, well,
2: in the UK, it was uh, for a couple of years, uh, we kind of ruled the airwaves, you know, like the the, the pop music uh, program, Top of the Pops, you know, the, you'd have a, all three bands on, on the show like but it was it was a you know a, a mixture of music on, on this show but sometimes you'd have the select uh madness and the specials all on at the same time and maybe bad manners or you know so for for a couple of years uh that kind of scar sort of thing was uh you know w- w- was what was happening you know in, in the uk especially but it was only a short period of time and we only kind of wore what was the rude boy outfits for probably less than less well, about a year and a half. Yeah, we, we actually dressed that way. It was just an image that we adopted to go with the uh, the musical style, you know. Because what we we were doing was mixing up uh sort of punk rock with ska, you know, we, we kind of because ska was, we we sped it up a little bit, made it faster and uh, made it the lyrics more contemporary, and uh, it it worked for some reason, you know. Yeah, that it did.
1: I'd say, you know, you mentioned that the initial period was, it might've been kind of brief, but uh, I think what's so impactful about Ska or or maybe the two-tone era is that the subsequent bands and acts that followed it um, may have put their own twist on it, but um, they never really deviated too, too much from, you know, the core of the music. And whereas other forms, of course, over time, I think have um, have deviated so much that, it really hasn't um, kept the movement alive. Uh, so, you know, it was, I think...
2: it's kind of uh, it touched countries all over the world. You know, there was Japan and Australia, and Canada, America, South America, even Iceland, all kinds of places had, had their own sort of scar scene, their own bands, you know, and, and for and especially in the 90s in the States when uh, you had no doubts, and the mighty, mighty Boston's, and that became a whole, a whole new chapter of, uh, of the music. They took it a slightly different way, you know, and uh, and by that time we'd all kind of stopped doing it, you know, for a few years, and some of us got back together in the mid '90s and uh, started touring again as the specials, and uh, you know, it, it was, it was still happening, you know the people still wanted to hear that, that kind of uh, sound. It's good dan- dance music, I think that's probably the main thing. It's like thinking, thinking men and women's dance music, so you can dance and actually think about what the song's about, you know, whether that be political or social or whatever. Oh you know. uh, Yeah,
1: fair enough, and, and, you know, we're happy to report that, you know, while Sky isn't the biggest... Um, genre out there by any means these days there's still a, a very strong and vibrant community in it and it persists with um a lot of uh young folks even still so uh, and, and no wonder for the reasons you just stated who would you say the players in the two-tone scene that you re- really connected with whether it would have been some of the guys in the specials or some of the other bands
2: how do you mean, like, so sort of connected, or friendship-wise or musically? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say more or less uh, well, friendship-wise. I found, I found a real pleasure playing with uh, the black guys in the band because, uh, especially Limbell Golding, the the black guitarist, taught me so much about uh, reggae and ska because I was I was basically a punk rock and roll guitar player, and I'd I'd been to Bob into Bob Marley and a bit of the dub stuff and. That kind of thing, but uh he he kind of showed me the way and I learned the feel from him, you know, and it kind of locked together in you know, the two guitars thing there's a bit like the the early stones where you had like Brian Jones and Keith Richards had that guitar thing locked in together I mean Limbell kind of had that you know, and then you had the the ribbon section of uh Horace on bass and Brad on drums. And they were really tight. So we had this sort of uh, musical tightness, which a lot of bands didn't have, you know. Uh do you have any good stories about our guys in Madness? Uh well <laughs> when we first met them, you know, like they they were a bit younger than us, you know, and they all seemed like cheeky chappies, you know. What I mean, they they were and being Londoners as well, because we we come from uh, the Midlands, which is a bit more further north and, and not quite so uh, loud and brash. But the uh, the madness lads were kind of cheeky, you know. I mean, you'd kind of be talking to so them, and they'd take the piss, you know, out of you a little bit. They'd uh, take your hat off or go to shake your hand, and then go <laughs> and just just generally sort of mess you about, you know. But they were having a lot of fun because they were younger and uh, they came out on tour with us and, you know, I got them pretty well with most of them, you know. They were, they were good. They seemed to be having a lot more fun than we were, you know, because we were a few years older and we were a bit more serious musicians where they were just having a lot of fun, you know. Yeah, and, and, and that they were. Um, so
1: uh, moving on, I just want to get it. A- Little bit of commentary on a few of the songs that you contributed because you did um a lot of your songwriting feature very prominently in uh, the first iteration of the specials. um So, Concrete Jungle, that was a song you brought to the band, but they, you had an yeah. earlier version of that, didn't you?
2: Well, I, I used to play that song in the, my band, The Wild Boys, you know, and Sherry had come to see The Wild Boys play. And I, I kind of think that Jerry asked me to join what became the Specials because he wanted that song in his set. You know, like he wanted like a harder rock song. You know, uh, in the in what became the Specials' music. And originally, I used to sing it when we first, my first join, and then Terry took it over. And uh, you know, I wrote "Rap Race," uh, which got to number five in the UK charts. And Hate a Rich Girl, which Amy Winehouse covered, uh, God rest her soul, a few years back. second major songwriter in the specials but Jerry Dammers is the main writer and when we did the, the Mark II specials in the 90s I wrote a few of the songs for them as well you know I've always written plenty of songs
1: um, uh, Back to the Hey Little Rich Girl I mean how uh, meaningful was it to you to hear that fantastic version of that song Well
2: it's, quite, it's kind of a Someone told me Amy had covered it, you know, and I was I was pleased, obviously, you know, because uh, I liked I liked her singing style and, and her voice and that, and uh, <laughs> I I phoned my publisher up and asked him for an advance, <laughs> money wise. I went out and bought a, a Gibson Les Paul gold top; it's a vintage one, you know. So when when uh, Amy Winehouse guested with the, the specials, I think, I think it was Glastonbury Festival. And I thanked her then and said, oh, thanks for the covering hey, Rich Hill, because you got me a little nice guitar when I got the money, you know. <laughs> she, was, she was friendly.
1: And another uh, contribution does not get talked about um, a great deal, but it's one that uh, I, I enjoy quite a bit,
2: uh, was bragging and trying not to lie.
1: All oh, right, yeah.
2: Well, like I say, I was always kind of like the, the punk rock and roller, you know, so you know, I was always into early rock and roll and Rockabilly was kind of uh, taking off about the same time as, uh, as the ska as the scene was. You know, there was a, a big mod revival and a, and a Rockabilly revival as well in the UK with Stray Cats coming over and, uh, you know, the Levi and the Rock Cats and... There's quite a few different bands, so I I was kind of into all that kind of stuff. So I did the bragging and start to lie, you know, and that uh, was given away as a free single, you know. it fits in with Jerry Dammers' concept for the second album. So I think that's probably why it was on the single, you know. But now it's all on the same on the same format anyway now, so. And then, uh, so inevitably the day
1: came. Uh, the specials broke up. Was that a sort of a uh, something that where the writing was on the wall and everybody felt it or
2: what are your thoughts well, you on that period? You have to remember, we we hadn't really stopped touring. You know, I know bands do tour a lot, but uh, we've been living in each other's pockets, you know, for you know two two and a half, nearly three years, and uh, not being the greatest of mates to start with. It, well, we we were kind of uh, not getting on so well, and uh, Jerry Damers, he he had a a whole concept he wanted he he wanted everyone to play the parts he wanted them to play <coughs> well the first album was more of a we we all contributed you know but the second album more specials was all jerry's baby you know and he would tell us exactly what to play and how to sing and and that didn't go down so well with everybody you know so like you said the writing was on the wall it was only a matter of time because we went off to do like uh, demos which was supposed to be for the third album and uh what became the Funboy free like terry limbell and neville they did some demos i did some demos and people decided they'd rather do their own demos outside of the specials so that was the end of the band really
1: and by that point, you had also um, been developing a side project, the Tear Jerkers.
2: Yeah, because I'd, I'd, uh, we had a bit of time off, and because I was still writing all these songs which didn't really fit in with the specials sound, you know. So I started uh, playing shows with my own band, and I was having a lot more fun doing that. So when uh, the Fun Boy Three split, I, I was quite happy to carry on doing the tear jerkers it, it, it wasn't a huge success, but uh, I had a lot of fun doing it, you know. <laughs>
1: And you had uh quite a few um subsequent side projects or things maybe where friends had asked you to be involved you had uh bone diggers the the raiders and uh three men and a black which was essentially a, a super group of yeah, a I, lot I, of people
2: I, like i said i i didn't just i didn't stop playing you know what i mean like i carried on playing I, I was in different blues bands and bar bands and you know i kept busy you know, and like, Tear Jerkers we went on for seven years and I was in a couple, like say, a couple of blues bands Then I formed the Bone Diggers, which was kind of similar to the Tear the but a bit more psychobilly-ish rocking blues, you know. I did that for a few years and I, and I did uh, some acoustic things with Pauline Black and uh, Jake Burns and uh, Dave Waitling and... Yeah, we're doing theatres and telling stories and singing songs, you yeah. it was a lot of fun. And then, like I say, in 1994, we were asked to, some of the specials were asked about Desmond Decker. And we did that, and that was a lot of fun, so the guys that did that uh, became the Mark II specials, and we toured uh, around the world for four years doing that, you know, we were doing to Japan three times, and, numerous tours around the states Till that finished in about some, uh, 1998 i think 99 did two albums and a couple of singles went out you know that kind of, you uh, know, I went back to my other, my other band, the Scarbly Rebels, and did gigs for that for a long time. And then uh, in 2009, uh, most of the specials reformed again without without Jerry Dammers. We had several meetings, but uh, Jerry had a different opinion how we should proceed. He didn't really want to go out and play the hits and, and tour. He just wanted to do two or three big uh, festival gigs. And uh, he wanted to play the songs in a more of the his new jazz sort of Sun kind of feel, which we 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 thought wouldn't be what the the mods and skinheads would want to hear. So we didn't we did it without him, you know, which was a great shame. But you know, that's the way it went.
1: Fair enough, and um, so that does bring us really to um, what you've been doing for the most part for the past few years, which is Scott
2: Billy Rebels. Yeah, I've, I've been, you know, it's what I like playing, really. I, I have to play sort of uh, a special heavy set, obviously, because people come to hear those songs, but I, I still manage to get half the set of uh, my more newer songs, you know, and uh, I've done uh, South America, about six or seven little tours around the States, California and the East Coast. Uh, I've been on Hong Kong the other year, a big reggae festival there. Several trips to Australia as well. So I'm getting about a bit, you know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and and like you said, it it's uh, it, it it seems like you're you're happier and you're doing something that's a little bit more
2: at the core of of what you're
1: about, and it, it well, definitely uh, shows.
2: I, I'd like to play what I like, you know, like what I write, really, you know. Um, but so the people that come to see me still want to hear those, you know, concrete jungle and rap race, and so I don't mind playing the songs I wrote, but I have to. Include uh, Gangsters and um, Do Nothing, can, you know, some of the classic special songs, You know, which I have to do that because uh, people feel cheated if I didn't play those songs. But, you know, that's that's the same for most bands that uh, which are, are famous for certain songs. You've got to play them. I dare say Mick Jagger's sick to death singing uh, Satisfaction, but he's got to do it, hasn't he? <laughs> You know, it pays the bills. Um, yeah,
1: so what can fans expect from you next? Pardon what? What can fans expect from you next?
2: Uh, oh, good, good question. That's about some I didn't have the CD, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a few songs left and maybe a few covers. No, oh, maybe sort of scar rockabilly country maybe I don't know <laughs> see what happens
1: very very good um, and we'll be looking forward to that um, just out of curiosity uh, what are you listening to lately particularly if it's anything that's you know a little newer a little not of your uh, your era
2: well I tend to listen to I uh, you know, sort of lot older stuff, I guess, you know, I like Johnny Cash and uh Jimmy Rogers, a lot of the early country stuff. Uh I like flamenco, I love I love flamenco guitars. It's like a lot of early blues like Jimmy Reed and you know, I like Otis Redding with a soul, you know, like my my tastes go right across the board, you know, from uh, Patsy Cline to Billy Holiday and you know, I like also, as you, as you get older, you, your tastes change quite a lot. I still listen to a bit of ska and a bit of reggae and, you know, like, and I still listen to a bit of Bowie and, you know, like stuff I grew up listening to as a kid. And But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting into blues and jazz more, really, recently. Maybe, maybe I was getting old, I don't know. <laughs> I don't listen to so much punk anymore, you know, I used to, but... Maybe it's just too loud and I can't hear the words.
1: Fair enough. Well, Roddy Radiation, that just about covers it. Unless there's anything you want to send out there to all of uh, stateside madness land. Anything important about the Roddy Radiation story we haven't covered?
2: Uh, well, you know, let's, let's keep listening to the music, you know. Madness keep playing, you know, in the... A couple of guys from the specials still out there doing it, so it carries on until we all we all know more, I guess, when, when we're no longer here. But hope that the music will still carry on after that. You know, and maybe there'll be young bands, there are young ska bands, forming and writing their own music. You know, it'd be nice if they said the things that we said, you know, and try, tried to be more politically motivated. And not uh, just singing lovey-dovey songs, you know.
1: Fair enough. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Always nice to speak with um, somebody that uh, I was quite uh, uh, fond of uh, back when I was a teenager. And uh, again, it's very kind of you to join us.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Hey there, Stateside Madness. What a fantastic interview. Thank you so much to Roddy Radiation for spending some time with Polly today and answering his questions. I did edit in some of the music that Roddy Radiation has played in and I will put the song titles in the episode description. Now we'll be back in two weeks. We're gonna be doing another album, Deep Dive. In the meantime, we'd like to express our condolences to our friends in Great Britain on the loss of your queen. Our closing song today will be Madness performing the National Anthem. Thank you so much. Take care. And as Polly would say, go get a beer, Stateside Madness.
1: Your Royal Highness, a very warm welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, the National Anthem.